Well, hello, everybody. Welcome once again to the Nefesh Podcast. This is episode 44. And this week, I want to touch on a really important topic, one that it's a little bit heavier, but so important as it relates to just our spiritual formation, our soul, our growth, and that is the topic of spiritual abuse. It's something that is is an undercurrent of Christianity and has always existed. And you know, one of the things that I want to clarify right up front is that all of us as humans in our fallen human nature, not, not the human part of us, but the fallen, the broken part of our human nature really pulls us towards disobedience, uh, towards God and away from God and asserting our will, not just over God's will, but over anybody else's will. And it's something that I've talked about before, that, that God empowering us with free will is both an incredibly awesome but also an incredibly dangerous thing that we have the power to to assert our will not just over god god allows us to choose to be in relationship with him but we have the ability to assert our will over others and that is uh, the essence of abuse you see this even as early on in the garden um, and after the garden the first sin, the first act that is described with the word sin is when Cain kills his brother Abel. We see the story in Genesis chapter 4. Now, obviously, that's the most extreme abuse, uh, which is taking somebody's life. Uh, but abuse happens in many different situations. And, and the qualifying part of this is that you and I, as in our fallen human nature, have the ability and the opportunities throughout our lives to take others for granted, to manipulate them, to assert our dominance and our power over them. From parents, teachers, uh, bosses, pastors, anybody who has any type of, not just authority, but anybody who has any relationship with anybody else has the ability to do this. And we see this in in. Uh, in marriages, we see this just in friend relationships. Abuse, and, and abuse looks different in many different settings and situations. And so uh, I'm, I'm walking a, 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 not a fine line, but trying to both indicate the reality of it and, and how common it is, but at the same time illustrate how bad it is, that it is both common and probably all of us in some way or another have abused our power, have manipulated others, have uh, coerced others, even if we didn't realize that that's what we were doing, tried to, tried to get people to do something that we wanted for our own selfish gains that, that all of us have. There's no probably there. All of us have. And so there are varying degrees of abuse from murder, physical violence, and sexual assault, all the way down to manipulation, coercion, um, uh, using our influence again for our, our, our gain, our selfish gain. It doesn't make it right, but we need to in understand how prevalent it is and again, how much it is part of the fallen human condition, that our selfish nature desires uh, 
what it wants when it wants it all the time that this is the purpose of spiritual formation or rather this is why spiritual formation is so important because our fallen human nature pulls us towards itself its own rationality its own desires its own selfishness and yet spiritual formation pulls us draws us towards christ and the uprooting of selfishness and fallen human realities it changes god changes our character as we partner with him in spiritual formation and spiritual growth that is the only way to uproot the sinful and selfish part of our fallen human nature it is in partnership with him in spiritual formation i do not believe I do not believe that our fallen human nature is at once transformed when we accept Christ into our life. Some theologies do. I do not. Our, our spiritual formation process has to undergo, undergo similar to any other type of growth and any other type of physical healing uh, or, or other healings. It takes time and it takes the willingness to engage in that that the sanctification process becomes um, it, it starts so to speak or we become a, aware of the commitment that we make when we accept Jesus into our life and commit to following him but the process only is is begins as some people see it or it becomes intentional as in we become aware of it and intentionally engage in it then but if we do not engage in spiritual formation and in the intentionality of it, our fallen human nature will continue to pull, pull us away from God and to itself. And it is that fallen human sinful part of us that causes, that creates, that desires our own wants above other wants, our own needs above other needs, our own desires above other desires. From the beginning of time, from the beginning of humanity, abuse has become a mainstay, a reality amongst humans. Again, it can be as simple as manipulation, coercion, um, using influence for our own selfish desires, getting something from people for our own sake from there all the way up to uh, physical violence murder sexual abuse and others now there are other terms that we would use for that and that that again that could be simply manipulation or coercion abuse happens when in and spiritual abuse in particular happens when someone in authority over another person or over other people uses their leadership for their own ends and desires and that again runs the gamut between sexual abuse as we've seen unfortunately um not just in the catholic church i, I don't want to demonize or vilify them but but 
and we've seen a lot of it there so sexual abuse of any kind by a spiritual leader all the way down to manipulating people for our own desires even if the motive is pure or the in i don't know if the motive would be pure there even if the intention is for their good for example i really really care about somebody i do not want them to quote go to hell when they die so i might manipulate them i might strongly coerce them i might i might use my words to get them to make a commitment to or, or to ask Jesus into their life because I am concerned about their soul. But the tactics I am using really violate their free will. It is coercive. It is manipulative, maybe even fear-based. And I'm using that to get them, even if I think it's a good thing, to get them to, to avoid hell, so to speak. Several years ago, um, I was, was recommended a book called Boundaries. It's one I've referenced before. It's, it's one I feel like I know by heart by doctors Henry Cloud and John Townsend. They are uh, Christian psychologists. They come out of, I think they teach or taught at Biola, um, the Christian University down in um, uh, La Mirada, California, one of the Christian, big Christian schools there. And I am so grateful. That was a life changing, life altering book. Very easy to read. If you don't have it, I highly recommend it. You can get it in almost any form. Boundaries with kids, bound, general boundaries, just basic boundaries book, boundaries in marriage, all of that, just really, really important stuff. And it laid out in a very healthy way how we were meant to interact with one another. And again, I appreciate both their psychological, but also their Christian approach to this. And they lay out a very good case for how boundaries should look in our relationships with one another. That we are responsible for ourselves, but not for others. That we have a responsibility to one another, but not for one another. And that we as humans were not meant to violate the free will of other humans. And they really are repeating uh, in a, a layperson way what theologians have, have talked about for, for thousands of years. And so there are you know, many great theologians, Christian uh, or church fathers throughout the years who've talked about this. There are other books as well that, that lean into this a little bit more. Family systems theory. Uh, uh, Murray Bowen, I think, is the, the, I might be, might be misremembering that name, but um, family systems theory is the, is the theory that, um, that he, that he developed that really understood the dynamic in families and, and um, it seems to reflect this boundaries concept that Cloud and Townsend get into. And there's, there are some really good books that talk about pastors and how they interact with their churches and, and healthy ways to do that based upon this family systems theory. It lays out, both really help to lay out 
how destructive coercion and manipulation are, whether it's in family dynamics, the workplace, or the church. And it, it brings down to particularly Christians who um, we are guided by a different ethic and yet are supposed to be, and yet we do not seem to act differently. Our churches are no different at times than um, non-Christian organizations. Our, our family units look no different at times than other family units. Yet we are supposed to be guided by a different ethic, a different understanding of how to treat one another and how to, how to love one another. And these these works, uh, both by, by Cloud and Townsend and others, I think have really helped to change the dynamic or helped people to understand what is okay and what is not okay. Back when the Me Too movement came out, and, and for those of you unaware of, and it really came out around, um, I think, 2016, 2017, and the pandemic uh, took over every, uh, you know, every part of our lives. And so those movements um, continued, but, but kind of got drowned out with other things. But the Me Too movement was really about identifying um, the abuse of women, uh, whether sexual assault or any type of sexual, um, any type of interaction that was offensive, that was misogynistic, sexist, or um, was in any way at attempting to minimize women and, by do and, and doing it by a sexual, a sexual act, a look, a statement, something that violated uh, a female in any way in, in that sense. And some may argue that, you know, that that can take things too far, that, that men are, are then put under a microscope in their actions and how they treat women. And I, I don't want to speak to that because I know it can take us into controversial areas, but I want to speak to this thought that the ethic to which Christ calls us is that we are to love and respect one another and that loving and respecting one another and serving one another should separate Christians in their lifestyle and their actions from every other person. And the amount of people who call themselves Christians in the world, we should have not near as many issues of sexual acts or uh, discrimination or violence or things done in sexual manners that are offensive to women or to, to children or to others. But the Me Too movement brought to light things that, that we were taking for granted. I think men were taking for granted. I think even in the church we were taking for granted. And it was around that time that there began to be another movement, a, a lesser known movement, hashtag church two. So instead of me too, it was church too. And again, it got 
drowned out by the by the me too movement and other movements but people began to share their stories of abuse in the church whether sexual abuse verbal abuse violence abuse uh, physical abuse the dominating manipulating coercing abusive selfish act action by any person in authority in the church and stories have come out and continued to come out since then uh, the the continued issues within the catholic church the issues of sexual abuse in the southern baptist convention and there are more um, uh, unfortunately even um, stories that we've heard from hillsong church that that has just had a wonderful influence all over the world and uh, especially in the area of worship but also creating a new dynamic for people to understand and and connect with god um, from you know pastors like carl lentz but even to the founding pastor brian houston there there have been and continue to be issues and stories and reports of abuse that have been covered up that have been not nearly as promoted or discussed and there are a lot of reasons for this and and reasons that we may uh, get into in another podcast this this won't be the only the only episode on spiritual abuse because it is such a it is such a significant theme that people are not talking about but one of the reasons it gets covered up is because people just well one of the reasons is that people will argue that if it becomes known the the world outside the people non-christians they will only use it as an excuse to not go to church or to vilify christians and so we will cover this up we will you know give give the person who's complaining hush money or we will um we will just remove the pastor and and this happened a lot in the catholic church we will just move the priest from one location to another because we do not want the attention or the lawsuits or again using a a very poor justification that if the world knew they would they would reject God, the church, our spiritual authority, and they would say, well, Christians in the church are no better than non-Christians. Understand that that logic is illogical because if we, if the abuse is true, then we are no better than non-Christians. Then our ethic is no better and we have no moral authority upon which to stand. Our concern that if the non-Christians, that if the world knew about the abuses in our institutions and in our churches, that if the world knew, then they would consider us no better than them, our morals no better than them, our spiritual authority would be removed. If our concern is that, and that is the reason that we use to cover up or, or not discuss or not bring it into the open, then in fact we are no better we only feed into our own 
illogical justification. Because if the abuse is true, we are no better. And we are no better because we are not moving into spiritual formation. The evangelical church probably for the last 16, 1700 years has moved away from understanding the calling that Jesus made to discipleship and have turned it into a quick and easy get out of hell free card. And so we have amassed Christians, quote, quote, Christians, unquote. But where are the disciples of Jesus who are not better in the terms of we are more holy or um, uh, better than you as a human, but that our morals and our ethics are different, that we are bound and live, actually live by different ethics and morals, and we treat one another differently. And our institutions look different, and we look different, not because we're trying to, but because we are different. It is not a matter of being no better or better than. It is a matter of being different, set apart. Not that we are setting ourselves apart, but that Christ, because of the work in us, is setting us apart. We become set apart because of the, Christ, the work that Christ is doing in us. And everything that we are, everything, the way that we live, reflects, reflects that Christ transformation, Holy Spirit transformation in our lives. Spiritual abuse comes in many different forms. Again, from sexual abuse all the way down to manipulation, coercion, fear-mongering, verbal abuse, attempting to control somebody's actions or life, and doing it all under the guise or under the name of a spiritual leader, whether it's a pastor, whatever title is given, but anybody who is in a spiritual uh, level of spiritual authority. And we have excused and justified it, even the quote minor unquote, and I don't mean that to say that they are minor, but we may not, we may not really touch on them as much because we again excuse them we excuse the leader the leader is anointed but the leader mistreats um, those closest to him or her the leader mistreats her employees the leader mistreats um, the other pastors on staff or the other other people in the organization but it's just because the leader is passionate um, the leader, the leader has special privileges. This is something that, uh, in Tom Marshall's book, Understanding Leadership, I, a really good book on leadership basics and particularly for, for Christian leaders, 
he talks about what's known as the status trap. And he indicates that any type of, that it is very easy, first of all, to fall into that, especially as Christian leaders, especially as pastors, that pastors might give up certain, certain things like more money or um, uh, health care if they get other perks from the job, if they get a bigger office, if they get... Um, if they get status in the community. I have seen this in some churches, uh, unfortunately, and in some, and in some ethnic uh, uh, groups, uh, in some cultures where the pastor is really seen, is really elevated high above high above the other per, uh, you know, other congregants. The pastor is seen like, like truly the Lord's anointed and you're not allowed to say anything, disagree with the pastor. If the pastor has a need, you're supposed to meet it. And, you know, if you've got a, 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 a skill set, you're a plumber or you're an electrician or you are uh, a mechanic, you, it is, it is expected that you will do something for the, you will fix the pastor's car for free and that you are at the pastor's beck and call whenever the pastor needs help. I've seen this. Uh, I've, I've heard about this, but I've also seen this. I've witnessed this. And so you might take a lesser salary, but stay in that community because of the perks that your status gets. Um, you might get, you know, the, again, the people in that community, in that church might, might serve your every need or, or want or desire and give you lavish gifts and, again, take care of you in such a way because you are the pastor. And the status trap is something that is, is more prevalent, again, in some cultures, some ethnicities, and some denominations within Christianity than others. But I can just tell you, <laughs> this one I will not budge on, the status, you know, the, these hierarchies and statuses that we've created is not biblical. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. The lifestyle that he lived was of a servant leadership. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Jesus, uh, and he didn't do that every time, of course. I mean, he, he, um, he allowed the woman to anoint him with oil because he knew it was time coming. Um, he, he didn't wash their feet every time they went into a, a house, but he definitely did it at least once to show and give an example. Um, but he certainly didn't, um, lord himself above others. In fact, he reflected that that type of authority was something that unchristians did, non-Christian, non, non, uh, non-people of kingdom of God. And the type of act and service that he lived, Paul calls us to. And you see this in Philippians too. You can't get away from the servant leadership idea. And I don't know how we have justified it in the church over the years. If you're part of a denomination that believes that, I'm sorry, it's not biblical. That the pastor or the leader or the presbyter or the, the priest or the pope was never meant to get a higher anything 
was never meant to be higher or more revered or more taken care of than the rest of the church. And that's not to say that they can't earn a decent living, that they can't receive gifts from others, but there is a difference from, you know, being blessed every once in a while by your church or your church showing gratitude for you and that's okay, then starting to see it as something that is expected because you are the pastor or the priest or the pope or the president or the superintendent or the presbyter. I love, uh, I don't, I've, I don't agree with everything that the late Robert Schuller, who founded the Christian, Crystal Cathedral, did or or church the church that he led i don't i don't want to get into his um you know his mega church or anything like that but um what what i find to be just incredibly beautiful is that despite his fame success and the the growth of his church he continued to live in a very basic house um in a not so, I don't know that the area is nice now. I think even back then it, it was just an okay house in an okay neighborhood. It wasn't a mansion. Um, it was maybe, you know, like a basic ranch style, three or four bedroom house, maybe smaller. He and his wife continued to live there. Uh, I don't know if it was forever, but it was even after his success. Again, I can't speak to any other part of his life or what he did with any wealth or that, that came in. And it's not to say that pastors can't have big houses, so I'm not even going to go there either. But I love that sense of humility with which, by which he lived. It is easy for leaders of any type to fall into a trap of liking people call you by your title, pastor. It is easy, or again, whatever that title is, priest, bishop, it is easy to fall into that trap and, and where it becomes an expectation that people are there to serve you and meet your needs. And that is where um, abuse can quickly happen. That as spiritual leaders, whether you lead one or two or three people in a Bible study to you lead a congregation or a denomination or a ministry or a nonprofit organization, and you have millions of people that follow you whether it's one or a billion. That as spiritual leaders, you and I are responsible to serve and care for the people that we lead. That they are to adhere and, and follow our leadership not because of our status or our spiritual authority. Our spiritual authority is given to us not by men, not by humans, but by God. And it is not something that we use as a way to get people to follow us. I love the, uh, John Maxwell's uh, understanding of leadership here that leadership is influence. Leadership is not status. Leadership is not title. But even there... We can use our influence to manipulate and coerce rather than encourage or invite people to want and choose to follow and listen to us. After I read that book, 
in 2005. And, and when I mean I absorbed that book, I mean, I listened to that on CD. I've read it over and over and over again. I have given it, I've literally bought it and given it to people and recommended it for the last 18 years of my life. But it changed the way I did ministry. It changed the way I interacted with people. It even changed the way I interacted with kids and niece, my nieces and nephews. It, it referenced uh, something as basic as, you know, your, your child or a toddler, you're holding this child, this toddler, and the toddler wants to get down, but you want to continue holding them. And they're squirming. And there's no reason that they can't get down. It's not like there's danger anywhere, you know. Um, you're not holding them for safety. You're just holding them or playing with them. And they want to do something else. And they're saying no or get down or whatever it might be to do it, to let them go, to, to stop hugging them, stop holding them, let them play. That they're, they're using their no and their yeses to communicate to you their will. And at two or three or whatever it might be, if their will or desire is not in any way harmful to them, even though it might be different than what you want, let them do it. That became huge for me as I would play with my nieces or hold them. And, and I'm a physical touch person. I love just, just cuddling with them and sitting with them and, and interacting with them. And even today, they uh, may want to sit with me or, or hold my hand. And, and uh, my little 11-year-old niece will, will still let me you know, still wants me to sit by her and hold her hand sometimes, but then sometimes she doesn't. She's like, I'm done. Go, you know, I, I want to do my own thing. That became so important to me that immediately it was like, all right, you know, let me pull away because in no way did I want them to, I, no way did I want to encourage or encroach upon their, their free will. That I changed the way I interacted with, with them when, when they didn't want to do what I wanted to do, if I wanted to take them to see a movie and they really didn't want to go because they wanted to stay home and play with their friends, that instead of going, all right, but it would make Auntie really sad if you didn't come with me to the movies, it would be like, all right, no problem. We'll, we'll go and, and do it at a different time. That they understood that their voice and their will was important. Although I do, I do do that today, but they're like adults and I do it to play around with them. A little bit of guilting them because they don't call me or talk to me enough. A little bit, a little bit. But that book so changed my interactions, my, my leadership, and at least attempted to. And at that mo time, I was working with young people. And young people, they are not easy to get you to get to do what, like, to get them to do what you want them to do or what you think they should do, oh my goodness, it's hard. It is hard. My leadership had to grow like twice as fast as it normally would have in order to be able to lead young people. But it reoriented the way I led, the way I encouraged and coached and, and guided and counseled them because in no way did I want their decisions to be coerced or manipulated. I wanted them to want I wanted them to want to serve the Lord. I wanted them to want to serve. I wanted them to want to grow. And that's a whole lot harder than to get people to do what you want them to do because you think they should. 
Spirit, spiritual abuse, again, it runs the gamut between the most extreme actions to the actions that may be even small that we don't think about. Again, trying to get somebody to do what we want them to do, even if we have their best interest at heart. But it violates their will. It manipulates their emotions. It's coercive. It is harmful. It does not have the effect in the end that you really, really want if you're a good leader. And it happens far too often in churches, in Christian organizations. And it is something that must be talked about and addressed more. That God created our soul, our being, to be free to choose. That is the essence of the narrative in Genesis chapter 3. That the reason the fall happened was not because we have free will, but because we used our free will to disobey God and assert our wants, our desires above his perfect plan for us. Our free will is vital. And when we encroach upon it or harm or dominate others in an attempt to get them to do what we want, even if we think our motives are pure and our intentions are good, it does damage to the people whom we are leading. Again, I, I plan on talking about this a lot more and um, creating a, a study on it at some point because it is so vital. I have seen it. I have experienced it. Um, and as the human, the fallen human spiritual leader that I am, I am sure in some ways I have engaged in it. And for, for that, um, even if it was with good intentions, for that I, to this day, regret any time I have done it. Whether it was a word, a look, any type of manipulation, coercion, or attempt to get somebody to do what I think they should do, but that didn't really allow for their free will to choose. That as a fallen human spiritual leader, that I regret that and want to be and to do better. And that is my prayer for all of us, that we would want to do better, that we would want to grow in that area. And in order to grow in that area, and again, it runs the gamut. Some of us are really messed up and we need to take a step back before we continue in any type of spiritual leadership because we've got some counseling and therapy and healing to do. It runs the gamut of the most extreme to, to the just everyday conversations or interactions or times when we don't even realize that we are violating other people's human uh, free will. But it is my prayer that we grow, that we learn, that we understand, and that we learn how to be better. We learn how to lead people better. If you have experienced any type of sexual 
or physical abuse at the hand of a spiritual leader. Please go and talk to, a, to an authority, to someone in authority, to, uh, to find resources, to get help, to, uh, to share it. The, these things cannot be covered up and you don't need to put the people on blast. You don't need to post it on Facebook or social media uh, necessarily. Go find somebody safe you can talk to. If it is something that is done, that is legal action is needed, go talk to an authority, talk to a Christian therapist or counselor, talk to a trusted friend, t tell somebody. If you are in a situation where you believe spiritual abuse is happening, happening, talk to somebody. Find somebody safe that you trust, reach out to them and talk to them. If you're unsure whether it is spiritual abuse, but you just want to talk to somebody, and there's nobody you can talk to, send me an email. I'm happy to help and listen and um, provide any help that I can. The Nefesh podcast at gmail.com. Spiritual abuse is not something that we should tolerate. And prayerfully, scripturally, carefully going forward, and we don't want to abuse, we don't want to accuse people that, that are not guilty of anything. So please don't go run out and, and start trying to bring down leaders who have not done anything, um, done anything wrong or done anything worthy of that. But please begin to talk to somebody about it and allow these issues to come to the surface. My prayer for all of us is that God would give us the wisdom the discernment to lead and to speak out and to address issues like these, like spiritual abuse that needs to be addressed. Well, this has been the Nefesh podcast, episode 44 on spiritual abuse. And uh, again, if I could help in any way, the Nefesh podcast at gmail.com, let me know. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.